The following sermon is from Redemption Bible Church of New Braunfels, where we are proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology, in order to fulfill the Great Commission in the spirit of the Great Commandment. God's Word now to Colossians. Uh, grab your Bibles if you don't have them. Uh, hopefully you do. If, if not, if you missed a, uh, you forgot your Bible on the kitchen counter or something, uh, if you missed sermon notes as you come in, just stick up your hand and our ushers will get those uh, to you. But uh, we're continuing now in this uh, third message and the next passage in Colossians that uh, we started a few weeks ago in this series called Incomparable and the Greatness of Christ. And before we get into the next passage, let me just ask this question. How were your prayers this last week? If you were with with us last week in the passage we looked at in the previous verses. How were your prayers this past week? My hope for you, nobody wants to be like, man, they're awesome, whatever, but that's okay. Here's something else. You can respond back. It's good. It's fine. It's fine. But my hope for you is you are in God's word, that you weren't just hearers only, but doers as well, and you feel more equipped to pray with and for one another and praying for yourself these prayers that God delights to answer, that as we looked at this, there's an increased fervency in your prayers in meeting with the Lord and that your eyes maybe have already been opened to the ways that God is answering those things that you've been praying to the Lord. But I hope it doesn't just stop that last week. That's why I love uh, going sequentially through the books of the Bible like this is because we begin to see the flow of thought here and that uh, it really our faith shouldn't just stop last week, that that was an isolated instant, instance, but rather it's gaining steam now. Your faith is as you're meeting with Jesus and that the more you pray, the more you want to pray. The more you meet with the Lord and the more you get to know Christ and the more your knowledge of Him increases, the more you want to know about Him. And You know, we touched on this last week, that our, our motivation to pray really is that, well, it's because Jesus is the only one powerful enough to answer them. He's the only one powerful enough to come through and, and that only Christ is worthy to be sought after are worthy to be worshipped. And this is exactly where the passage takes us today. It's where uh, he takes us to the supremacy of Christ. It's as if Paul is praying for the Colossian believers, and as his mind is set on heaven and where Christ is, he bursts out with this adoration of Jesus. Some even think that the verses uh, we'll look at today, here in 15 to 20, were an early church song. Now, nobody can necessarily prove that. There's been many scholars who've tried to put it to like rhyme and meter and can't, and yet it is a burst of praise to the Lord. You know, and in our day, when people are debating about who is the greatest of all time, Jordan or LeBron, even LeBron now has the scoring champion, or they're debating if Brady or Rodgers is the greatest quarterback of all time, or the hundreds of athletes competing even now for those world records in the Winter Olympics, our text leads us to this bottom line, that no one compares to Jesus. That's a great place for an amen. No one compares to Jesus. Amen, that's right. More so than any other passage, maybe in your whole Bible, is the one we have right now. It's really where we get our series title incomparable, that there is none like Christ. It's as if, as Paul is writing to this church, these people he's never met, only has heard the reputation of their faith, he wanted imprinted on their hearts this fundamental truth that no one compares to Christ. And hopefully, if you've been around redemption for any length of time, 
whether it's been just minutes this morning or years, that this isn't news to you. If it is something new to you, then here's something you need to know about our church. Nobody, no one compares to Jesus. Jesus is the center of this gathering. Jesus is the center of our community. He is the one we worship in our personal life and in our corporate life. He is the one we walk with in our personal life and together in community. He is the one we work for and serve, whether personally with the gifts he has given us. And in the context of community, this church revolves around Christ. It is all about him. Not about me. Not about you. It is about Christ. And so we go vertical week after week, time after time, to bring him the adoration due to him. Let's read the passage. You just see this, and it really, the text answers just a simple question this morning. Who is Jesus? So with all that's been said already, let's come to the word of God and allow it to answer that question. Join me, Colossians 1, beginning in verse 17. Speaking of Jesus, it says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. This is God's word for God's people. Now, almost, I mean, you can see it as you read this. There is a crescendo type effect in the passage as it is leading us not just to merely understand who Jesus is, but to worship him because of who he is. And I think even in these verses here, some of us, maybe our brains are like kind of like on overload right now. Like, wait, what does all this mean? Well, here's the glory of a passage like this. I think we're going to spend eternity understanding the heights and depths and lengths of what is being described right here. But even as we spend eternity understanding, it will lead us to an eternity of worshiping Christ as it comes into our head and through our heart, it'll lead to greater obedience. So there are many ways that we could take this passage. There's really no end, but we'll follow these four he is statements to guide us as we seek to increase in our understanding of who is Jesus and how then should we live. Well, the first he is statement is in verse 15. We know no one compares to Christ, but this leads us then to say this. We must submit to his authority as creator. We must submit to his authority as creator. And so in the passage here, you begin with kind of this cosmic creator, and it is condescending in who Christ is and getting more personal in each he is statement. We must begin by submitting to his authority as creator. Now in verse 15, it's making a connection to our prayers. Mind you, again, this is a letter. We take it kind of a chunk, a slice at a time, but we have to uh, understand the context here. It's uh, as Paul has uh, just said, here's what I'm praying for you. He's now beginning to, uh, uh, to describe who is this Christ. He's like, we're not just like praying to some like invisible, imagined, you know, Santa Claus type being. Rather, 
He is a real person in whom we'll find he is not just any ordinary person. He is the God-man, God himself. And so in this first, these first three verses here, in this first, he is statement, let's just take it kind of a phrase at a time. He is Christ being the image of the invisible God. What does that mean here? Well, God, we know you can't see him. In the Old Testament, you see God, he cannot be seen, but he is not just some like invisible, out of touch, aloof, a distant God here. Now he sent Christ who would be a God shown to us. God in the flesh, the beauty of Christmas. His incarnation showing us what God is like and what God can do. He is the image or the uh, exact representation of who God is. Listen to this if you want, or you can turn over to Hebrews 1 just real quickly. Because Hebrews 1 verses 1 to 3 begin on the same note that we see Paul writing here. Just listen to this. Hebrews 1, 1 to 3. Like I said, you can turn if you want or just listen. The writer begins his book and says this, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. We know that, right? Like your Old Testament, what's like half of your Old Testament? It's filled with what? Prophecy, right? The prophets speaking on behalf of God, saying this is who God is. This is what God demands of us. This is how we are to live. And he's speaking through these messengers. Verse 2, he says, But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, Christ coming, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. Speaking of Jesus, he says, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Christ is not uh, just uh, some being that is a, a prophet or a messenger. He is actually God himself, the only in, uh, image of the invisible God. But the, the passage goes on here to add even more clarity. He says he's the firstborn of all creation. Now, many people and many cults and religions have got this wrong about what this means here, Jesus, because they come to this and they're like, see, look, the Bible says that Jesus was created. He's not God. He was the firstborn here. And many cults point back to this, but this isn't what it's talking about. It's not talking to him being born in this way like as a human, but is speaking of the firstborn here and later in verse 19, or verse 18 rather, this firstborn of positional authority. In those days, as uh, uh, the oldest uh, son, uh, he would be the one who would receive the inheritance. He was the one who had authority over all of the father's possessions. He was the one who uh, had the uh, control of all things. And so when he says he's the invisible, uh, or the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, what he's saying here is Jesus has authority over everything that we see and everything that we can't see. Because that's where the text takes us, and it's like, okay, to what extent then does he have authority? Well, he answers the question. To what extent is that? Well, he has authority over it. Why? Because he created it all. Look what it says here. For by him all things were created. He was there at the beginning. We know this from Genesis chapter 1, the plural forms, let us make man in his own image. It was God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit there. In John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. 
He was there. He's one who created. He created the heavens and the earth, the entire cosmos. What we can see here, our world in which we live in all the heavens, the universe that we are ever exploring and desiring to know more about. It extends even to the visible and the invisible, whether we can see it or not, the physical realm, the spiritual realm. Guess who has authority over that? Jesus on to say then the thrones and dominions the governmenting uh, the uh, governments of the world these rulers and authorities speaking of the spiritual realm and those who rule there it's a term you see especially in paul's writings rulers and authorities speaking of the spiritual realm or to turn over into ephesians 6 verse 12 as he's talking about well, our battle is not against flesh and blood but who is it against rulers and the authorities in the cosmic places. And he'll say the same thing in Colossians 2, verse 15. If you just look over there, it says, He disarmed the rulers and the authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Him. Christ has authority over the physical government rulers on this earth and also over the spiritual realm. And get this, like to what extent He created it, everything that we can see and can't see, and all of it was created purposefully. Look at what it says. It says, through him and for him. All that we know, the physical existence and the reality in which we live was created through Christ's power and according to his wisdom. It's created through him, through his character, through his power, and it was created for him, meaning that everything that we see, both physical and, uh, and, and invisible, is at his disposal and according to his sovereignty. All of it. Even that thing in your mind where you're like, but even that? Did he create that? And he's behind that and he's doing this? Shake it. Yeah. Even if we don't understand it. Even if we don't know how it all makes sense. In Christ it does and he is over it. Make no mistake about who puts world governments in place. Make no mistake about who pulls the strings in every country and in every realm and in every circumstance in your life. Who has authority over all creation? Sunday school answer right there. It's fastball down the middle. Jesus. It was Jesus. Turn over to Psalm 2. I want you to turn there. I want you to see this. This isn't new information. He is the one that had been prophesied about, the one that they had been waiting for, and now the one we look back to. Go to Psalm 2 for just a second here. Maybe you've heard this, maybe you know this, but it, it accentuates the point here that Paul is making to the Corinthians, or the Colossians rather. Maybe they even knew this passage of Scripture. But he asks this, Psalm 2, beginning in verse 1, he says, Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? Doesn't that just explain the you know, current state of global affairs right now? And in every era, nations raging, peoples plotting and making plans and setting policies in vain. It says, The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed or the Messiah, the Savior, uh, the one who would come to save. They take a counsel against him, and they say, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. Meaning, we don't need to follow the Lord. We don't need spiritual wisdom. We will do what we want. The scene shifts then in verse 4. He who sits in heaven laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. 
He will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. God the Father sitting on his throne, looking at them, shaking his head, laughing with derision at the hubris to think they could operate apart from the Lord. What does he promise in verse 6? Who is he speaking? Who is this king on Zion? It's Christ. It's the anointed, the Messiah. And this is the one who is speaking. Then in verse 7, as it, the perspective shifts yet again, he says, I will tell the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Fast forward to John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son. Ask of me, this is Jesus. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Jesus promising one day in his good timing that vengeance is his. We don't have to worry about getting vengeance in our own personal situations. We don't have to worry. We just need to, we just need to do what the Lord has called us to do. Submitting to him as the creator, as the sovereign one. And the verse ends, or the chapter ends in Psalm 2, with a warning, Now therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear. Rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry, and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are those who take refuge in him. Warning for disobedience. Blessing for those who find refuge in this king. Consider Psalm 2 here. Consider who Christ is. He is the sovereign one, the one who has authority over all creation, your life and my life. And our right response is this joyful submission. That's really, submission really is just that, like the biblical concept of it. We hate the word submission. We think it means, you know, some uh, indentured servitude or even worse. And yet the biblical word for this really has the connotation of a joyful responsiveness to who God is. He said it was true. He said what is right. And so we, then we follow him. And even more so, it wasn't just that God said all these things, but he sent Christ who embodied what is true and right and good. And we can believe that his will is good and pleasing and perfect. And so when he calls us to this, we are the clay. He is the potter. We follow his will. And This is to our great blessing, is it not, church? So our great blessing, come back to Colossians 1 and let's take the next he is statement. Not only should we, uh, because no one compares to him, not only should we submit to him, but we should also then find refuge in him as sustainer. Look at verse 15, the second he is statement. It says, and he is before all things and in him all things hold together. See, no one is above if the first he is saved, no one is above Christ, but get this, no one is before him either. We already know that he was there before creation. Before all this came into existence, he is eternally existing, the Alpha and the Omega. He was there before the world was created. But what it also is getting at is he is out ahead of everything. He is the initiator. No one acts or thinks ahead of him that that Christ has to uh, uh, react or respond to us in a way in which he is surprised. No, because Christ is both the source and the sustainer. He is before all things, and in him all things are holding together. Or as we just heard or read a minute ago in Hebrews 1.3, that he upholds the universe by the word of his power. He just speaks, and it all makes sense. 
This is one of the reasons why we pray, isn't it? Because we are acknowledging that we can't hold it all together. We love to try, don't we? We love to try. We pack our schedules uh, jam-packed with like, activities and events and things that we need to go to until like, it's, it's just this like, uh, maddening pace. We, we love to just show like our independence and our strength. Like, no, I can do this so that we can impress others and look like we're super dads or super moms or whatever it might be. And we do it and do it and do it until we break. Our bodies break down because the pace of our life is frantic and then we have all the aches and pains and the things that come, you know, those health issues, the stress in our life. God in his mercy has given me an indicator. I've got uh, my left eye like freaks out when I'm going at too, uh, too frantic of a pace. It starts to get blurry and all that. And doctors don't know why they can't do it. And I'm just convinced, or why it does it. They can't like, you know, done all the tests. I'm convinced it's the Lord's like indicator. It's like the check engine light. Like, hey man, you're trying to hold on to too much. I don't know what it is, but we, we do it until our bodies break down, until our minds break down. So we're so anxious, so we, t- we have all this like angst in us and we're stressed because we're carrying burdens, we're trying to control things and people and situations, doing what the Lord didn't design us to carry. See, here's the reminder this morning, church. Jesus holds it all together. Not you, not me, not even all of us working together to do our part. It's Christ. Christ. This doesn't mean we don't do our part. This doesn't mean we are irresponsible. Don't go the opposite direction. But it is Jesus who is holding all things together. Your life, this church, this world, he is doing it. And the beauty is he brings us, he invites us in to find refuge in him. To find refuge in him. You know, like our blank, whatever it's, our blank is not too much for him. Whatever it's feeling, whatever with the weight you're feeling, the relationship, the circumstance, the thing that is, it's not too much for him. It's not going to like, uh, he, he's not going to reject it because he's like, well, you know, my plate's a little too full and, and I, I just can't help you right now. I never believe that for a second. I never believe that for a second that you can't bring it to the Lord, you can't bring it to God's people. He invites us into it. You know the invitation in Matthew 11, I'm sure. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. And I'll get to it later, Jesus says, right? I will give you rest. Matthew 11, verse 28. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. The context to this passage, we love the invitation. The context to it is even more glorious. Just listen to this, beginning back in verse 25. It says, at that time, Jesus declared... And note this, this is coming on the heels, if we were to read back even farther, is Jesus calling these cities to repentance. These cities that were full of hubris, that would not, the, that would not bow the knee to King Jesus. He, he pronounces these woes, these judgments on them. Verse 25, at that time Jesus declares, he says, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. You have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things, Jesus is speaking here, all things have been handed over to me by the Father. Yeah, we know that. We're beginning to see some patterns in the Scripture, right? 
And no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. And then it says, and then come to me, all you who labor and heavy heavy laden, and I will give you rest. See, it's a gospel invitation. It's an invitation into salvation. It's an invitation into the relationship that the Father shares with the Son. Who are, who are themselves, you know, Jesus is the exact representation here. He's saying, I'm inviting you into this. I'm making him known to you. Now come to him. The gospel invitation. Maybe you find yourself apart from Christ trying to figure out this uh, life. You're trying to figure out, well, like, well, who is this Jesus guy? What is this Christian life all about? Can I really take him at his word? The invitation this morning has come. Come and find refuge for your soul. Come and find a satisfaction in Christ that you will find nowhere else. There's none like him. None like him. He created you. He sustains your life whether you acknowledge it or not. He's inviting you in to the joy of knowing him personally. Find refuge in him. For this is what we do. We talk to the Lord. We talk to one another. He invites us in. It doesn't end there. No one compares to him. Look at this third response in the he is statement. We must follow his lead as the head. We can follow his lead as the head. Look at, go back to Colossians 1. Maybe you're still there. You probably didn't turn over to, see if I can find it. There it is. Verse 18. He is the head of the body, the church. Common metaphor in the Bible to describe this community as the body, isn't it? You're familiar with your Bible? What are, what are we as a, as, a, as a group of God's people here? The Bible, the common metaphor is that we are a body. 1 Corinthians 12, people are likened, all of us, we're likened to feet and hands and ears and eyes. Sometimes I feel like maybe I'm more just like a knuckle, right? An elbow, a heel bone, something like that, a kneecap. That's really what... But make no mistake, there is only and always one head of every church. Every local church and the, you know, the universal church here. And so the head, Jesus here, he leads the rest of the body. He decides what is wise. He sets the vision and direction for this church and every other church. From the head, as we know, even how a body works, from the head come the instructions for how the rest of the body is to do and react and and to respond to things. It is Jesus who does this and acts as this, even as we are in him. And so, as I said earlier, it is Christ who is the head of this church. He sets the direction. It is his eyes that see all things. It is his understanding that we are after. Christ is the the head. He is the chief shepherd of this church. He is the leader. He is the way, the truth, and the life in everything. And we then follow his lead. No matter who we are, no matter what our gifts are, no matter what part we play in this body. Now see, as we recognize that Christ is the head, it is him who leads this church. It doesn't mean that the rest of the parts are unimportant, right? Each part, your part in this church is important. It is important for the, the proclamation of the gospel, for the advancement of the glory of God. It is for a purpose, and they all work interconnectedly together. Your gifts, your experience, your wisdom here working together in the way that God has designed a church to work. Each person is important. The thoughts ever cross your mind, oh, this place doesn't need me. Oh, I have no place to serve. That's just simply not the case. Each part is important. And there's two like uh, interconnected realities here. The people here need you. 
Not like, you know, pat ourselves on the back like these people need me. I have it all figured out. God, in his wisdom, brings people to churches and adds them to it because you have gifts and experiences and things and parts to play and ministry to do here that we, this body has been without until you came by God's grace. Second connected truth is you need the people here as well. None of us have it all figured out. None of us are lone rangers. God did not invent us as islands in our faith, right? Like just think of the, go back to the body metaphor here. Christ is the head. We might be a foot, but if a foot is cut off from the body, what is it? We're just like, I know it's kind of gruesome to think about, but if we chop the foot off, would it be, it would just be like a decaying piece of tissue and bone. Unable to go anywhere or do anything. Or if my foot was still connected, but thinking that, man, it doesn't need the rest of this body. I can do this on my own. It would just be really an obstacle to the rest of the working of the body. But a foot connected to the rest of the body, now it's going places. Now it's taking ground, right? It stays strong and fit. It doesn't atrophy right? Because it's not just being unused, but it's working there all in God's uh, uh, good grace, and it's helping the rest of the body function as it should. And so what do we do? Whatever God has called you to do, you follow his lead. As the head, you follow his lead. You walk in greater obedience, but it isn't just towards greater obedience that he's after, but greater worship. For look at the last he is in the middle of verse 18 to the end. It says, he is the beginning He is the beginning, the firstborn uh, uh, from the dead. And so like I mentioned earlier, there's like this condescending flow here as we now come to worship him as king. Worshiping as king. And when I say condescending, I'm not meaning like like, uh, in the, the negative sense of the word, in a coming near. We started with him as the cosmic creator. And now in these last verses, it has come personal to where he is our savior. He is the creator and sustainer of the whole universe. He is the creator and sustainer of the church. And he's the creator and sustainer of your faith. We worship him then as the king or the Lord of our life. We know the beginning. It's already, we've already covered that. He was there from the beginning. Here's this firstborn. But what is this meaning again from the dead? Well, we know he has what? Positional authority. As the firstborn, he is at the front of the line. He is at the head. He has authority over all who would rise from the dead. He being the first, his resurrection made ours possible. Because he ran out of that grave, now when he calls our name, we too can run out of the grave. What does he accomplish in all that? Well, if you just jump down to verse 20, he accomplishes our reconciliation. Reconciling us to himself because of what he did at the cross, making peace with us, that vertical peace that we've talked about so often here, the peace that we need because we were at odds with God, separated from him, alienated uh, from him because of our sin. So Christ went to the cross, shed his blood so that we could be saved. There is no peace without sacrifice. Here's what he does, and he makes that reconciliation possible horizontally between us and others that we have offended, and he brings a reconciliation to all of creation. Paul talks about in Romans 8 that the creation longs for this as well, and Christ has authority over it all. Why? Because he was able to defeat our greatest foe. What was it? It was our greatest foe. 
the foe that we have tried so hard and we work out and we eat right and we do all the things in order to try to conquer it and yet it comes to all of us. Death. Only Christ was able to conquer. We, you know, we've been able to conquer the, the many foes of diseases, right? Through medicines, through uh, therapies, through surgeries, we've been able to, in many cases, by God's common grace, to conquer the foes of disease. We've been able to conquer and rebuild after disasters that, uh, that lay us low, whether the natural disasters, personal disasters. We're able to keep going by God's common grace. But this foe of death was only able to be conquered by Christ. And this is why it says this is why he is pre-word often. Simply means first place. There's anything that we take away from this morning, it is that Jesus has first place over everything. You know, the Rams and the Bengals, they will battle tonight for first place or preeminence over the NFL. Their trophy will fade. It will be obsolete in another year. Be another team coming back next year. 1 Peter 4.11, we saw it a few weeks ago. Tell us that this glory, this dominion, this first place belongs to Christ. He has first place in everything. Not in some things, but look what it says. They're in everything he might be preeminent. That means he's first place in your marriage, first place in your parenting, first place in your friendship, first place at work, first place in your free time, first place at church. And when you're driving down the road, he's first place in this church, in your small group, on your ministry team, in everything Christ is preeminent. It's the beginning, the firstborn, and we worship him by following him in each of these scenarios, by making him first place, by following his will, by working and, watch, uh, working and walking and worshiping Christ. He was able to conquer death because he is God. If there's any doubt in your mind about who is Christ, well, in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell I know it's a goofy way of saying it, maybe. But what it's communicating here is that He is God. All of it, all the fullness of God was in Him, pleased to Him. Not like forced into Him. It was in a human creation and then all of it was just like poured into Him. But no, everything in here, the, all the fullness, He is not a lesser being. There's a common heresy in those days. There are so many cults and things were trying to just say, no, Jesus isn't who He was. He's just a man. He's not before creation. He was not, but no, no, no. He's not lesser. He was not some like, you know, juvenile kid. He was not the sidekick. It was not like the father's Batman and he's Robin just, you know, like falling along. All the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in him. And so then we are pleased to give the fullness of our praise back to him. This is what we get to do. The more we learn about Christ, the more fervent our praise becomes to him. This is, this is really what we learn. Like the, the passage here, Pastor Cade, you know, he pointed this out years ago in a sermon on this text. But he says, this text answers the, like life's biggest questions that we have. Life's biggest questions that people are asking no matter what religion. It's like, well, what is God like? Well, verse 15 answers that. What is God like? Look at Jesus. It's like, well, where did all this come from? As we look around at the world, well, read verse 16. For by him all things were created. It come from Christ. Ask the question, well, like, who's in charge around here? Who has authority? Who is the sovereign one? Well, look at verse 17 and 18. It's Christ, right? And it's like, well, where's all this heading? To what purpose does this earth exist? Where's all this going? Well, it's all being summed up in Christ. 
answer to each of those questions that we ask, the big existential questions, the answer to each of those is so Sunday school. It's Jesus. Text makes it so clear to hear, but it is not just that he is an answer. It is not just like some philosophical reasoning here. He is also our greatest satisfaction. For only Jesus is worthy of our worship, the fullness of our worship. No one else compares to who he is. Somebody give Jesus praise for that. We're going to close here just on even that note. We're going to pray together. I have some uh, prompts on the screen for us just to pray as we come before Christ, and then we're going to sing a new song of adoration to Christ, of seeing him as both the one who bore the cross and wears a crown. Pray with me now, church. There's some prompts on the screen that I will lead us through. God in heaven, here we are. We've heard your word. We've seen the truthfulness of it, and we believe in the trustworthiness of it. Christ, we've seen you on display, but even as we come before you, we need to ask your forgiveness. Maybe we've not acted in these ways. And so, Lord, we just take the the time as we respond to the word. We we say, Lord, forgive me for blank. And equally so... uh, Father, we see that Christ is our King. He's the Creator. He's the Sovereign One. He's the Sustainer. And Lord, maybe, you know, in some of us, we're seeing some ways that we're resisting His ways. We're, We're resisting His will. And so we're asking God, we're just declaring to you, we submit to you in this situation. You know the details. We're telling you now, we submit to you. It's really so mind-blowing, Lord. Like even We just feel like we've scratched the surface. So we want to just bring to you the praise that is due you, and we worship you because you are this. Because you are our creator. We worship you because you are the sustainer. We worship you because you are the head of my life and this church. We worship you because you are the king, our Lord our Savior, and who we find salvation. So give us a, a greater glimpse of who you are today that we might worship you in a greater degree today. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.